Check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. Hey there, and welcome to the B2B Content Show. I'm Jeremy Shear. The show is brought to you by Conversa, a digital content agency that helps you create a month's worth of content in just 60 minutes. So I think most B2B marketers would agree that it's important for a company's leaders to be visible on social media, sharing ideas, posting articles, and so on. But the problem is usually, almost always, that the CEO and other leaders are just too busy to actually sit down and craft their own content, at least on a regular basis, right? And so that task will often fall to a copywriter that could be in-house, or maybe it's farmed out to, to an agency. And then the writer will work with the, the leadership and so on, which I think is pretty pretty common and fine, except that there's always going to be some gap, right, between the authentic voice of the CEO or some subject matter expert and and someone who's writing for them. You know, we, let's, let's call it a ghostwriter. Right? There's always going to be some gap there. And the question for it, in my mind, is like, how much does that matter? Because we talk about authenticity so much. And when you go down that route, it seems to kind of cut against it. But like, how much does that matter? And I think a lot of it comes down to the nature of the collaboration between the content creator and the subject matter expert that they're that they're talking to and working with. And so to explore the ins and outs of this kind of collaboration, my guest today is Oleksii Klochai. Oleksii is founder of Wizard on Demand, which is a content marketing firm for technical products and services. So Oleksii, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So let's let's get into this. In your case, you guys are working with tech companies, right? Often producing highly technical products or solutions. And in some ways, I'd like to think it's maybe even more important that 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 you guys have a certain kind of like close correct collaboration with the clients you're working with to be able to, you know, pro- to 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 produce content that really comes across as real and authentic. Right. So in your mind, in your experience, what's the single most important element of that kind of collaboration? I would say there's for sure the information exchange. I mean, that, that is kind of the, the main point of uh, any kind of interview, right? You exchange information with uh, the subject matter expert who uh, knows more about you, uh, about the topic than you do, right? Uh, but then uh, on top of that, you kind of start layering things. So with the information, uh, you also get, you know, something that is maybe less proven, something like opinions or beliefs or um, just past experiences and things like that, right? So what happens is uh, you might interview a founder of a software company, for example, and then they will have a certain set of experiences that they've had that have framed their worldview in a specific way and eventually even led them to found this company that, uh, you know, they are, uh, they have started, you know, a couple of years ago or whatever. And then when you interview them about the topic that maybe is, you know, well-researched otherwise, you will likely learn something new and interesting because that founder has probably been on. I don't know, 50s, you know, I don't know, 50 sales calls in the past four weeks or something like that. And really, you know, just in terms of market signals and understanding what people are doing today, they're probably one of the most knowledgeable people in the world about that subject right now, even if they are not an academician or anything like that, right? They still know kind of what is happening in the trenches, so to speak, right? So um, b- besides the information and just understanding, deeper understanding of the concepts, you also know how those concepts are being applied today. Right. And kind of what is what is the practical situation in the field? Okay, so 
so it's in the the it's the job then your guy's job or the job of any you know content producer right to tap into that kind of specialized knowledge and experience and then use it to create content right like take us take us through your process because again i think the the concern maybe or just like the way i think about it i'm like it would the ideal situation would would be for the subject matter expert themselves to create the content because it's coming straight sure. from them that's as authentic as it can get but like i said before they're either too busy or it might be they're just not good at creating content mm-hmm. you know they have the knowledge but they're not necessarily great at getting it out of their head and like writing an article about it right so how do you work with a subject matter expert and take them through that process and then create content without kind of, you know, losing that special spark that makes that company or like that, even that individual person's way of thinking that makes them unique and kind of worth hearing from, you know, something, it seems like something's always going to be a little bit lost if it's, you know, one person kind of translating somebody else's thoughts. What techniques do you guys use to kind of minimize that, you know, loss of what we're calling uh, authenticity. Yes. So at a high level, what we do is rather than trying to do all of the work for, for the person that we're helping, we're trying to uh, leverage their time, right? So we give them the guardrails, we give them the process so they don't have to think about the next steps and we guide them through the next steps, basically, right? At a high level. In terms of specific techniques, so we use interviews. Uh, interviews are a very good uh, tool because you can interview somebody and you can record that and you can transcribe that. And then you can, you know, we frequently use maybe verbatim or, you know, paraphrased information directly from that interview. And that allows us to be very close to what the person believes and what they actually want to say in an article. But then you might notice yourself, you know, when you're writing or versus recording podcasts or something like that, then the speed at which we communicate verbally is just higher, right, than than when you write. And so what we're able to do is uh, we allow, you know, the subject matter expert to communicate quickly and maybe, you know, in a messy way, right, uh, where they don't have a lot of structure, they just, you know, speak what they think. And then we take that information and we reframe it and we clarify it. Maybe we ask them some questions after the fact, maybe we do some fact checking to make sure that we have understood correctly and so on and so forth. But we allow them to just, you know, communicate faster, right? So they communicate to us and then we do the work of actually putting that in words that would be accurate from all of these different perspectives, right? Because uh, on top of just technical correctness, what matters is also, you know, the style, the topic that we're writing about, you know, framing it in a specific way that is going to help, you know, build a story that we want to build and so on and so forth. Besides just interviews, what we frequently do is we look at, we ask everybody for examples of the writing that they like. Because there are some stakeholders, uh, some executives, for example, or founders or other subject matter experts that have a personal blog, for example. And with them, it's very easy for us uh, to go and look and see how they write. And they usually have certain distinctive features of their writing. Maybe they have a particular style. Maybe they you know, have a particular sense of humor or something like that. And so we cannot, of course, replicate it because replicating it would be kind of you know, difficult to do for a person who is not them. But we can at least get inspired and at least un- can understand what they, how they communicate usually and what they like and what they don't like. And so we incorporate that information in the, in the writing flow to try and make uh, things you know, similar to what they would do themselves and then work with them to kind of elaborate on those ideas and so on. Yeah, besides that, I would say 
not just working on the text, but also working on the visuals is also one of the, one of the elements that helps with this communication because, the, you know, many people are, uh, prefer verbal communication. Many people prefer uh, visual communication, right? And frequently what yeah. can happen is maybe um, um, subject matter expert is not um, enjoying uh, interviews for half an hour talking to somebody about, but many do, but maybe do, uh, some people don't. But then maybe what they will enjoy is um, looking at a visual and then, you know, visually helping us create an image that will communicate exactly the point that they're making. And so then we can have maybe a written article and then we can support it with a visual and maybe the visual can be a bit funny or a bit funny in a particular way, uh, you know, or something like that. And then we're already introducing a bit of uh, their personality into what we're creating, right? And so we kind of stack these things on top of each other. Okay. And it seems like kind of the crux of this really is the interview that you do, right? That's, that's where you're creating kind of the raw material from which you're going to build out the content, right? Yes. So that the the quality of that raw material is really, really important, right? And so I want to dive into that a little bit more because that's of, that's of particular interest to me. I do a lot of the, you know, on this podcast, I'm interviewing people a lot. And in other work I do, there's like a lot of interviewing. So I'm just super interested in like the, the how an interview works. And I think there are some ways of doing it that are better than others, you know, depending on who you're talking to. Can, let's so talk a little bit more about that interview process and spe specifically I'll, I'll in my experience when i'm interviewing people for that purpose to kind of help them create content i have found that it's much more than just kind of showing up and being like okay tell me what you know about topic x first of all the the person might not even know where to begin so it's much more than just sort of asking a few questions and then recording what they say in my experience, right? It's I a agree. lot more sort of helping a subject matter expert kind of think through even think through how to talk about the topic, like where to start, what's going to be of most interest to the audience. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And, and so what do you think about that? Like how, to me, that, that's kind of like the more new, that's like the nuance of, of doing an interview, right? What are your thoughts about that? Yes, I think you're exactly right. Interviews are not all interviews are made equal. And I think what is really interesting is the preparation, right? So there's a lot you can do by preparing for an interview. Mm -hmm. And something that is particularly helpful in technical domains, right? If you just show up to an interview and try to, you know, just let the person speak, you might not have the same level of understanding of the subjects. You might have issues with terminology. You might have issues with all of this kind of information that is just floating around and is assumed, right? Is is not really the subject that you're discussing, but you will have trouble discussing the subject without having shared context around this topic, right? And so in uh, technical domains, this is why we chose one technical domain to specialize in, right? So for example, we work in the software space. And then if we were to venture, let's say, into, I don't know, medical devices or something like that, that would be super challenging, uh, right? Because the, the amount of context that you need to have to have a high level, you know, high intellect conversation with somebody who has been working in the field for 20 years is completely different or, you know, very different, let's say. And so shared context, I think, and, um, you know, goes hand in hand with preparation. So when we prepare for an interview, then we try to kind of have some of the information around kind of what is this interview for? Kind of what is the direction that we want to take with this? What is the subject, but also what is the kind of the story that we think we want to tell, right? So we just start with that. And we come up with that in a fairly small amount of time. So we have a limit of, you know, a certain amount of time that we spend before the interview to 
do preliminary digging. We will have a look at what has already been done by this person, maybe their posts or their social media activity. Maybe they have written about this topic before, so we can actually see what they think about it before even asking, right? And then, and in that case, if there is already something that we can ask them to elaborate, you know, and go deeper in it, it's pretty helpful. Maybe there is already a YouTube video or something like that that they have done in the past. So we just kind of try to do a survey of everything that maybe they have done on the topic. And then we try to have a look at some adjacent uh, ways of thinking, maybe a competitor, maybe uh, somebody who disagrees with them, if it's really obvious. In the kinds of technical domains that we work uh, in, there's not a lot of, uh, I mean, these days, there is not so much disagreement because uh, a lot of the stakeholders that we're interviewing, they're doing something that is fairly cutting edge, I would say. And when you're at the cutting edge, there's uh, maybe a couple of people that talk about it and they tend to talk in a, well, not really in, in the same way, but they kind of do their own thing, right? There's not a lot of contention between the, not a lot of competition between the, the views, right? Then when you get into more saturated spaces, that's when you can have lots of kind of really strong opinions and really conflicting opinions. And then you can kind of get a lot of information from that and, and so on. But in the beginning, I think it's much more about just understanding what the person thinks, what others think. And then what is the kind of story that maybe is there to tell? And then when you show up to the interview, then you can use that and you can just ask them, you know, here's my understanding. Here's what I've seen, what I've read. Is this right? What do you think about this? Right. And then you close your mouth and then let them, you know, take you through, you know, through the, through their story on this. And sometimes they will have uh, strong opinions and they will tell, start telling you, you know, oh, this is completely wrong, right? And uh, like, this is because this person said this many years ago, and this actually does not represent the reality at all, right? Then you have a very interesting discussion based on that, right? Or they confirm that this is right. And then you ask them to elaborate on something that maybe you didn't understand correctly, or maybe they correct you in a minor point, right? And then you can talk about that. So what I find helpful is to, uh, you know, when I do an interview, for example, then I show up and I give them something to react to, right? And I ask them to, to correct me if I'm wrong, basically, right? And that usually kind of leads into the next point, into the next point, and at that point, we'll already have half an hour of a useful conversation. I like that a lot. I mean, that sounds like a really good and thorough preparation process, right? Exactly, that you show up prepared to have a real conversation not, and, and, and ask questions that are below the surface, right? Yes. And I think also that's very useful for demonstrating to the person you're interviewing that you've done your homework and you're exactly. taking this seriously and that you've come prepared not to just pepper them with questions, but to have a real conversation. Yes. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So you are taking it seriously and then they will take the interview more seriously as a result of that. You're absolutely right. And that's going to result in better content. For sure. Right? So it's not just about making the person feel good, like, oh, they're taking it seriously, but they'll they'll talk in a more interesting way they'll just be exactly. more engaged in the conversation exactly if they uh, feel from one side if they feel that you're prepared then they can uh, <laughs> rather than covering you know an introductory topics or something like that they can take you straight to the to the cutting edge of their research perhaps or something like that right and you just yeah. save a lot of time of this kind of exploratory conversation you get straight to the to the interesting point right yes right because because you, you you also usually have a limited amount of time, mm -hmm. especially if it's with a CEO, you know, yes. you have 30 minutes mm -hmm. and you just cannot waste that. And you might not get another 30 minutes anytime soon. Yes. You know? So yeah. Um, it, 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 there's something else you said that I think is, is very interesting and very important that you kind of, on the part of the, the content creator, having a sense of what the story is and who you're aiming it at before you interview anybody. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, I remember 
earlier in my career when I was just less experienced. And sometimes I would interview people and feel like we had a good conversation, but then later go back through it and realize I didn't really get anything that I can use, you know, because I, I hadn't yet thought through exactly what the story is and even why I'm interviewing this person exactly, you know, like it seemed like a good idea. They're a subject matter expert, but what role are they playing in this story specifically? And then it's hit or miss, right? It was only later that I began realizing like, oh, I need to have a very clear sense of what this story is and how I'm going to use this material. And then I can ask really specific questions that are going to get me the material I need. So I'm not just hoping I get it, but I definitely get it. And I won't let them go until I get it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So yeah. what, what are your thoughts on that? You can see I'm nodding a lot on all of this. <laughs> I have for sure had uh, similar experiences where we do an interview and then we realize that, you know, we didn't really have our questions answered or maybe the story isn't really there, right? And, and, and so on. So part of the preparation, I think, is uh, not just to look at what's already out there, as uh, I mentioned, you know, we do, but is also to understand the context in which we're doing this, right? So who is going to be reading this or, you know, engaging it with it in other ways if, if it's uh, not written or, you know, whatever? What do they care about? What, you know, a lot is just in the B2B context, let's say, or, you know, business to business marketing, business to business sales. A lot of it is related to the customer, right? The customer pain points, the customer's state of mind, the customer's, you know, knowledge level and so on and so forth. So understanding that quite in depth in terms of, you know, the, the interviewees, customers, understanding them will probably help you understand what kind of story would be helpful to tell there, right? So I think that's an important piece of information there. Besides that, I would say asking the interviewee themselves, kind of what they think about different stories and maybe coming with them with a couple of different options that maybe are, you know, more correct uh, in, the, in their point of view, right? So you, you tell them, you know, I've read all of this information and the overarching themes that I've seen are, you know, this one, this one, this one. Which one do you feel like it's? true, more true than the others. And then maybe they tell you, oh, all of these are wrong, right? And then you have an interesting conversation. Or they uh, tell you, okay, this is the, the most accepted one, but the second one is what I see more often, right? And so on. Uh, and then you already have a starting point as well. Um, yeah. Frequently, it requires also some interviewing skill, I think, um, because a lot of people um, have a lot of knowledge and frequently it's very easy, especially in technical domains, to go off on a, on a tangent, right? And then mm. you uh, kind of start talking about it. There's a lot of stuff that is interesting and you can kind of infinitely zoom in on everything, especially with somebody yeah. who really you know, knows their domain. They, get, they have a lot of stuff that is interesting. I like interesting things. And so I, if you put me in a room with somebody who has a lot to say and you know, we have a bunch of coffee with them or something like that, then we can uh, talk in a lot of detail until the, I don't know, for many hours, right? But then again, we don't have infinite time. Uh, so what we have to do is to understand how to steer the conversation in ways that uh, are productive, right? And so this is why I kind of like to have some of these options in terms of uh, stories that we can potentially tell because then I can you know, poke in a bunch of different places where I feel like the story is missing points, right? Some of these are maybe obvious, uh, some of these are less obvious. And then if I poke in the less obvious ones, then maybe I will, you know, understand, is there that story to tell? Or, you know, do we need to look for something else? Yeah, I think you're, you're touching on something really important here, just like the, the nature of the dynamic between mm -hmm. the interviewer and the interviewee. 
the interviewee is a subject matter expert, right? Mm -hmm. They have specialized knowledge that the interviewer doesn't really have. You've done preparation, so you have something, but you you know yeah. obviously you're, you don't have that depth of knowledge. But the interviewer is also an expert mm -hmm. in interviewing, in storytelling, and in, in, at least in my experience, just like as an interviewer, you're relying on the knowledge of the person you're interviewing to mm -hmm. right. You're relying on them to tell you what they know. They're relying on you to help them deliver it in a way that's going to help you. You, you really can't assume that they kind of know where to begin or end or start or what's most interesting for your purposes. You have to tell them. You, like you said, you have to guide the conversation in particular ways. And that's a particular skill I've found, at least in my experience doing this. And if you don't, if you don't do that, then again, you're sort of leaving things up to chance. Mm -hmm. Yes, I absolutely agree. And I think a lot of this kind of structure yes uh, we bring the structure and frequently it's just easier for the interview uh, interviewee uh, when the structure is already there because they can focus on the knowledge right it takes quite a bit of effort to describe things precisely uh, this is being recorded for example you know an interview and then you know the person who is going to be writing will be referencing it so it's a piece of reference material so it has to be fairly accurate and so it takes, um, yeah, we, we shouldn't underestimate the effort it takes for the interviewee to lay everything out uh, correctly, right? Especially if they're not used to it. So yeah, the least we can do, I think, is to lay out a structure that doesn't take a lot of um, effort, where the questions are clear, where uh, just the experience for the interviewee is as smooth as possible, including, I mean, the whole experience, you know, from scheduling the call to, you know, booking it at the time of day where they will be alert, uh, you know, and interested in talking to you and don't have other priorities that are happening at the same time, right? All the way to, you know, giving them a structure and asking them questions that they feel are useful and helpful to guide their conversation uh, and uh, asking questions that are maybe deeper than the surface level because, you know, for many people that will just be, you know, uh, Frequently, if you ask uh, somebody who is, let's say, a world-class expert, right, uh, this, I think, doesn't really happen on, let's say, if you listen to a very popular podcast that invites a world-class expert at something, then the person interviewing them will necessarily do quite a bit of preparation. Some of the best podcast hosts, for example, they do a lot of preparation for these experts, right? And the reason why they do it is because, I mean, you can save time on higher level topics that can be just researched or found out online, right? They just jump straight into the interesting stuff. But I think it's also, you know, making sure that the experience for the other person is, oh, I'm talking to somebody who is maybe not, you know, necessarily exactly at the same level as, as me in terms of knowledge and so on. But they're, you know, reasonable, right? We can, we, they have the building blocks that we can use, right, to build these these arguments and, and these discussions. So you kind of have to give them something that they can use, right, to, to build a mental image in your mind and help you understand. Then, yeah, well, I think, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say one other thing that is also quite interesting is to reflect back to them what the image that you are building. So as an interview, how I usually work, and I don't know if this is the case for, for, for everybody, but how I usually work is I'm, I'm a fairly visual uh, person. So I would usually kind of build these kind of mental maps or like mental images in my mind. And then it's very common for me to get them wrong, right? Because I maybe listen to something and I assume something and that is not really mm -hmm. true. And then what I found uh, really important is to reflect what I see, kind of try to describe that with my own words, not just say, okay, yes, I understand what you're saying, but uh, to say something like, okay, I understand that you said this, this, and this. Do you feel like that's a reasonable way to say it? And then the other person confirms, you know, yes, 
you can judge it by their enthusiasm also. If they are saying, you know, this is exactly, exactly right, or they compliment you on the way that you put it, then you know that you've hit it on the hand. But most of the time it will be, you know, less enthusiastic, yes, or um, they will correct you in something or something like that. So you can kind of purify your understanding. So they will like move closer to them in terms of understanding over time that you have. Yeah. Well, you, I mean, this is another great point that when you're interviewing, right, someone on something that you have kind of minimal knowledge of, right, and they're like have deep, deep expertise there. And I remember from earlier in my career, too, sometimes you feel like you, you can, it can be embarrassing or you feel embarrassed to kind of admit that you don't understand something. Mm -hmm. And, yes. and you, you know, I remember specifically sometimes being like, okay, I'm not really sure what this person just said or what they're talking about, but I'll figure it out later or whatever, you know, like, I'm, I'm sure that's right. Let's just move on. But you're right. That's, that's such a mistake. You gotta, if you really don't understand, you can say, well, hold on. I'm not sure I followed what you just said, or like you just said, say it back. Okay. Here's what I'm taking from what you just said and kind of repeat it back to really make sure you understand. Cause chances are, if you don't understand the, the, the audience won't be there yes. and that's going to be a major problem. So yeah, I think you just touched on, you like did a really good job of laying out the kind of the full complexity of the job of an interviewer. It's so much beyond just asking a handful of questions and jotting down whatever the person says. It's so much beyond that. Yes, I agree. I would say we have a slight advantage where we record the interview for internal use mostly, right? And so we then mm -hmm. have sufficient time to process it and we can actually come back to it. We still have access to the person usually and we can come back to them and say, mm -hmm okay, we've seen this, uh, or we can even just move uh, on with the process. We will show them the outline of what we're thinking, or maybe they see the finished draft and we can highlight you know, the, the paragraph where, okay, you said this in the interview, but we were not exactly sure because there's this you know, other fact that we have found, you know, can it just confirm this for us? So that is just fairly easy for us to resolve after the fact because we still can do some steps afterwards, right? And yeah. for somebody who is uh, doing interviews on live TV, for example, they don't have this, um, they don't have this advantage, right? They have to uh, be really alert uh, in the moment and really try to navigate, you know, where do they try to dig in and really understand where that might be a kind of misunderstanding or maybe the person is sharing incorrect information or they're, you know, just, you know, forgot the point or misunderstood or versus where uh, the interviewee is lacking knowledge and they can just, you know, it's fine and they can fill it afterwards. Yeah. Wow. Well, this has been a really cool conversation. It's uh, we're, we're doing an interview about interviewing. Very meta. Very like meta, that. yes. And a super interesting, uh, yeah, thing to talk about. I mean, I could, you know, we could go on and on. But for now, but for now, I'll just ask one final question. How can people connect with you? So I am quite active on LinkedIn. And uh, you just search my name on LinkedIn. You will, you will find me, Alexei Klochek. And then our website is uh, wizardondemand.com. We have just a couple of videos on there, some articles that you can read also to get familiar with what we do, how we do it. Uh, you know, we, we don't write a crazy amount, I would say, but we, there is some insight into how we kind of our process, right? And how we build all of this into, into the actual things that we do with technical companies. So yeah, LinkedIn, there is something that I'm starting on YouTube as well, but there is only one or two things there for now, but hopefully more in the future. Okay, excellent. Well, we'll put links to uh, to your LinkedIn in the show notes. And Alexi, thank you so much for a really insightful conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. I enjoyed it as well. That'll do it for this episode of the B2B Content Show. You can find the podcast anywhere you get podcasts. 
And as long as you're there, you might as well give us five stars and leave a comment about how much you love the show. The podcast is brought to you by Conversa. We are a digital content agency that helps you create a month's worth of really kick-ass content in just 60 minutes. Just 60 minutes. How is that possible? Well, check out our website to find out. That's Conversa with two N's, C-O-N-N-Versa.com. So thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate your support, and we'll see you next time.